I'd invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This morning we'll be considering the parable of the sower, uh, the first of four sets of parables that Mark records from Christ's teaching in this wonderful chapter. Mark chapter 4 and The passage runs from verse 1 to verse 20 as the Lord gives the parable and then interacts with His disciples and interprets the parable for us. So we'll read that passage this morning as we begin, beginning in Mark 4, verse 1. Again, He, speaking about Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. And some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulations or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, and they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful." But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold 
and a hundredfold. Well, in this parable, we have much of the teaching of the New Testament condensed. It is vast and deep in its scope and the wisdom of our Lord as he communicates the word of God to those gathered around him. Let's begin this morning just by capturing the setting where our Lord is. We're told that a large crowd has gathered by, with him, to him, by the sea. And likely this is in a natural amphitheater uh, where there's a bay with slopes coming down into the sea. And Jesus embarks on the boat to amplify his voice, let the water amplify his voice so that likely the thousands that are gathered there uh, can hear his teaching. And uh, if you've been in a situation where there's a lake, it's amazing how the water can carry and amplify the voice. You can hear a normal conversation, sometimes several hundred yards away, across a lake, across a still lake. And so Jesus is on the lake teaching, and the crowds are gathered on the slopes uh, leading down to that, to that, uh, that lake and that shore. And there are large crowds, large crowds, many people. And other passages in Mark or in Matthew tell us what Christ's assessment of those people are. In Mark chapter 9, uh, these people are, are harassed and without a shepherd. That's Christ's view, and he has compassion on these people. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the assessment that Jesus has of these people that are gathered by him, this large crowd that have come to hear his words. They're people that are harassed. They have no shepherd. They're harassed by the political situation. They're, they're harassed by their own personal trials that they're facing. And as we look through the Gospels and see the, the accounts of various individuals that came to Christ, these are representative of the crowds that are gathered, people who are desperate in, in physical difficulties, people who are desperate uh, in family difficulties. Think of the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, right? That's a chaotic household. The, these are people who are heavy laden, they're distressed, and they're coming to Christ. They're coming to hear the words of this man who does miracles, this man who is a teacher, but this man who is the Son of God, this man who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we can think about the response to Christ, what, what is a response to Christ? When we see people who respond to Christ in the Gospels, Responding to the word of the king is to cast your cares, to cast your anxieties on him. Responding to the word of the king is to find refuge in the rock of ages. And blessed are those, Psalm 2 says, blessed are those 
who find refuge in the Son. And so Jesus is, is preaching and teaching these crowds that are, that are pressed, and he's, and he's teaching them and telling them and instructing them the one thing that they need foundationally is to respond to the word of the king. Their problem is not ultimately political. Their problem is not ultimately the physical trials that they're facing, the familial struggles that they're in the midst of. The ultimate source of their problem is that they need to come and bring themselves under the rule of the king. They need to receive the kingdom of God by turning in repentance and faith and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their lives need to come under the rock of ages. They need to come under the authority of the king. And so what we have in the parable of the sower This is a parable about the kingdom of God. Again, Mark tells us in chapter 1, this is Jesus' ministry. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God is near in his person and the arrival of Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, when those around him with the twelve ask him about the parable, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 13, which is a parallel passage with Mark 4, at the end of that chapter, as Jesus is explaining the parables to his disciples, he tells them in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out his treasure what of, of his treasure what is new and what is old and so Jesus is teaching these parables he's teaching them to the crowds and he's equipping his disciples to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God so that they also will be equipped to to deliver those treasures and ultimately to build the church of Christ. This is a parable about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and the preaching of the kingdom of God as Christ proclaimed it is the good news that God rules all things. He rules all things. He he rules both the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And one day, the, the, the climax and the culmination of his reign will have all things reconciled in Christ, things in heaven and on earth, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1. And people are either enemies or citizens of the kingdom. Citizens turn to Christ in repentance and faith and order their lives in obedience to the king. And what we'll find as we work through this parable, Jesus teaches that only those who truly hear God's word enter the kingdom of God. And in this teaching, in the context of the first century, as, as he's teaching the Jews and the Jewish leaders are around with their assumptions about uh, their, their entitlement to the kingdom of God because they're sons of Abraham, Christ is obliterating the assumptions that being a Jew or simply being a good person, a moral person, is the means of gaining entrance into this kingdom. 
No, it's those who respond to the word of the king. Continual responsiveness to the word of the king sets apart true citizens of the kingdom of God. At the end of this parable, when Jesus explains in verse 20 that those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, the word behind the verb or the tense behind the verb is a, is a present active tense. It's those who are continually hearing the word of God that bear fruit. In contrast to the other three soils where those who heard, they heard once and it was done. There were no continuing results and therefore no fruitfulness. Continual responsiveness to the word of the king is what sets apart true hearers, true citizens of the kingdom of God. It's only those who receive the word of the king that enter the kingdom of God. And does not that make sense? I mean, how could we say we're citizens of the kingdom of God when we are not responding to the word of the king? To the word of the king of kings, to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in Colossians 1, Paul says that those, that those in Christ, those who accept Christ by faith, who turn in repentance and faith for the, for the forgiveness of their sins, it's those that have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. So as we look at this parable, let's just begin by identifying the parts of the parable. The sower... The sower who sows the word is Christ and all who would declare the gospel of Christ. The seed is the word of God, the word of God that never fails, the word of God that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 17 through 20 that he came to fulfill and that not one part will ever pass away. The sower sows the word. The soils are the heart condition of those who hear the Word of God. The sower is Christ. The seed is the Word of God. The soils are the heart condition of those who hear the Word of God. And and again, only those who hear the Word of the King, truly hear the Word of the King, enter the kingdom of God. And so the urgent appeal and the point of, of this passage and this message is receive God's Word. Receive God's Word to enter the kingdom of God. Receive God's Word to enter the kingdom of God. To be a citizen of the kingdom of God is to be saved by faith, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Receive God's word to enter the kingdom of God. And by receive, what I mean is bow your soul in obedience to the word of the king. This morning we'll look at this under three heads. 
examine Christ's teaching under three main points. First of all, we'll see that Christ offers God's Word to all. Christ offers God's Word to all. We'll next see that many hear God's Word and fail to enter the kingdom of God. Many hear God's Word and fail to enter the kingdom. And finally, fruitful lives. Fruitful lives identify true hearers of God's Word. So the theme for the passage this morning, receive God's Word to enter the kingdom of God. Christ, Christ offers God's Word to all. Many hear God's Word and never enter the kingdom. Fruitful lives identify true hearers of God's Word. Let's begin by considering Christ offers God's Word to all. Christ offers God's Word to all. This is what is taking place as the large crowd comes and Christ enters the boat and moves out from the shore and sits down in in rabbinical form to teach about the kingdom of God, and he teaches in parables. And again, if I can just remind us that at the end of this section, in verse 33, we're told, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. So we have definitively described for us what is happening. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the crowds. He's teaching the word of God. And he's offering the word of God to all. Christ offers the word with liberality. He, he, is, he is liberal in the dispensing of the word. And we see that as the large crowd gathers and as he goes to physical extents so that they can hear the word of God. He pulls that boat, the boat out from the shore so people can hear the teaching. It's a dispensing of the word of God. He's teaching all of those crowds, about the kingdom of God. He offers the word of God with liberality. He offers it with urgency. Look at what begins the teaching of our Lord. Verse 3, listen, listen. Jesus is urgent that those under the sound of his voice Give attention to what he is saying. Listen to what I'm teaching. Listen to the word of God. And in verse 9, as he concludes uh, 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 delivering the parable, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We find the same formula in Revelation 2 and 3. And if you would, just turn over there so we can see this. In Revelation 2 and 3, this is the letters to the churches, the letters from the risen and glorified Christ through the pen of John. These are the words of Christ to these churches, representative of of instruction to the churches through the church age. All all seven letters apply all the time to, to churches in the church age until the Lord returns. In verse 7 of chapter 2, as 
The letter to the church of Ephesus concludes, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what, what's at stake? Well, what's at stake is that the church needs to repent. And each of the churches addressed to the churches conclude with this urgency. Again, look at verse 17 in chapter 2 to the church of Pergamum. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right? We can work, work through and see the urgency of Christ speaking to the churches. Back to Matthew chapter 4. Christ is speaking with urgency to all. Listen, hear, understand. This is critical. That their eternity is on the line. Will you respond to the word of the king? Will you enter the kingdom of heaven? Will you bow yourself to Christ? And as he's offering the word to all with liberality, with urgency, there's, a, there's clarity. He's giving them a parable, something that they would, they would immediately recognize. Probably they, they saw the scene, likely they saw the scene as they were even coming to hear Christ. Here is a sower. He's going out to sow. He has his leather bag strapped to his waist full of seed, and he's walking through those Judean hills, those Galilean fields, and, and there's much uh, diversity of, ter- of terrain, and there are paths that, that wander through the fields that, that people use, and, and there's different types of soil and, and stone and, of course, the weeds from the cursed ground that are growing up. And, and the sower is there, and he's putting his hand in the bag and distributing that seed liberally all over, looking for a crop, looking for a return, looking for the means of life from that seed. This is something that's familiar. There's, there's clarity in what Jesus is saying in the sense, in the sense that there probably wasn't a person there who would say, what is he talking about, about a sower? I don't know what a sower is. I don't know what it is to sow a field. Now, he's giving them a picture that they would understand. Christ is offering God's Word liberally to all, and and as we're going to see, the problem of receptivity is, is not in the teaching of Christ. The problem rests in the heart of man. Jesus knew that many would reject him and reject his word, but it did not quench his willingness and the urgency with which he preached to and taught the vast multitudes. He's offering the word of God to all. And how critical it is for us to note this aspect of Christ's ministry. There's a liberality and a generosity to our Lord of distributing the truth, of proclaiming the truth. He proclaimed it in the synagogue in chapter 1. He proclaimed it in the house in chapter 3. And here he is outside on the seashore 
by the lake, in the lake, proclaiming the word of God. Wherever he is going, he is proclaiming the word of God. He is, he is doing exactly what the sower is doing in distributing the seed of the word of God. And it's interesting to note that he's making even physical provision so that the word of God can be amplified and people can hear it. And there's a point of application for us here. As those who are followers of Christ, those who are in Christ, we have the joyful responsibility and privilege to distribute the Word of God and the Word of Christ liberally, to call people to the kingdom of God, to call people to repent and believe for the forgiveness of their sins. And we do that as ambassadors of Christ. We do that as those who are governed by the King and sent by the King, repent and believe. Right? Evangelism, making disciples, it's, it's not a matter of, of, of simply um, giving people the facts and hoping for the best. There, there's an urgency that comes with commanding people, not out of our own authority, but of the authority of the King that we serve, to turn to the Lord, to repent, and to believe the gospel. And so we broadcast the truth of God's Word as, as effectively and as broadly as we can. Preach God's Word to all. Bring the gospel to all, to all nations. As Christ, though, is teaching and giving us this parable, He's setting that cursed ground Right, that ground with the thorns, the hardened ground, alongside the corrupted heart. And so while we, while we obey the Lord and while we follow His example in broadcasting the Word, we also we recognize that the heart condition of those who hear differ. And some will receive and many will reject the truth of the Word. But ultimately, Christ Himself is the incarnate Word, is He not? And as He offered the Word and, and taught the crowds, He offers Himself to all people without exception. In His day, as He lived on this earth, as He established perfect righteousness and ultimately went to the cross in perfect obedience to his father to purchase our redemption. He used the natural amplification of water to carry his voice, but for the last 2,000 plus years, he continues to amplify his voice through the transformed lives of those who follow him. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verses 8 through 10, that the Word of God was amplified through the transformed lives of the Thessalonians. So that the whole region saw that the gospel was effective to transform people, to bring the enemies of the kingdom of God and make them citizens of the kingdom of God. Christ gives the word to all. 
And so those who claim to be disciples, we have a commission to proclaim Christ and to make disciples. The amplification of the Word of God takes place as God transforms lives, and we then call others to repent and believe the gospel. It's far beyond an occasional effort. It's a way of life. Jesus preached the Word of God in the synagogue. He preached the Word of God in the houses. He preached the Word of God by the lake. He was distributing the Word of God, teaching the Word of God to all, calling people to Himself, calling people to the King. And today, as you hear the Word of Christ declared, and perhaps you have not submitted to the King, Christ urges you to listen and hear. Listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He offers himself to all. Listen to the living Word. Listen to the eternal Word who became flesh. Because one day you will be standing before this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be held accountable for what you have heard for the calls to repentance, for the calls to believe in His name. So turn to Him now. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. As we look then at the interpretation of the parable that Jesus has delivered, we find that many hear God's Word and fail to enter the kingdom. Christ delivers the word to all. Go to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Broadcast the word. Amplify the word. But many hear God's word and fail to enter the kingdom. Look at verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, But to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. In verse 11, we we have a reason given. Christ identifies two categories of people who hear the word. There are two categories, and only two categories. There are those to whom it has been given to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, and there are those who are outside. And part of the reason that Jesus speaks in parables is that those who are hardened to the truth of the gospel have a a degree of obscurity even as it's preached. It's mercy in judgment. It's mercy in judgment. The Lord in His perfect knowledge knows that there will be those who reject the Word and and they will reject the outright statements of truth. And in His mercy, He is teaching in parables so that there is obscurity for those who are not believing, for those who have turned away. Now, there are some rather challenging 
statements that make us uncomfortable in verse 12. I'm speaking in parables, the Lord says, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. The Lord, in His mercy, in His wisdom, the Lord knows that there are many who have unrepentant hearts and God confirms that unrepentant heart in their unbelief. It's the same thing that happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardened his heart in confirmation of his unbelief. And as we're thinking about these statements, one thing that is very important to clarify often we think when we're dealing with the underlying doctrines here of election and predestination, what what Dane read for us even from uh, Ephesians 1, we can think in terms wrongly of people going down a conveyor belt and the Lord is like, okay, I choose you and I damn you. I choose you and I damn you. That's incorrect thinking about this doctrine. What we have to understand is that Scripture tells us that every single person, with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, every single person carries the imputed guilt of Adam. We've sinned in Adam. We are guilty before God, according to Romans chapter 5. There is none who, do, who is righteous. There is none who seeks after God. No, not one. And so a proper understanding of the human condition is not that we are neutral towards God. No, the Bible teaches that the entire human race hates God. That is our nature We hate God. We don't seek after God. We can't seek after God because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. The natural human heart, although it knows that God exists because of the the general revelation of creation and because of the internal witness of our conscience, everyone knows that there is a God. But in our natural condition, Paul says that we suppress, we intentionally aim to suppress the truth about God. Man is utterly and completely corrupted and under the righteous condemnation of God. And those that are given The secret, it's out of the mercy of God for something that we did not deserve in one bit. It's only because of God. And those that turn away and that God judicially hardens in their unbelief, it's where they are. It's where they were going. God confirms the hardness of the heart. 
And Christ is doing the same, expressing the same as he's explaining why he teaches in parables to those who are outside of the kingdom. And, and as those today who might be here, who hear and, and you know the Lord, the Spirit of God is bringing conviction to your soul, but you're thinking, you know, I don't want to turn to Christ. Let me just make it very clear that there's an assumption that we can choose to follow Christ whenever we would like. That is a false assumption. That is a false assumption. We offer a myriad of reasons for delay and think, well, I can turn when I'm ready, when I've lived my life my way and things get bad enough, then I can turn. No, remember that the Word of God that was on the hardened ground, Satan took it away. You have no guarantee that the Word's even going to be there. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And why is that? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 24 through 26, we're told that God must grant repentance. And so when the Word of God is spoken... When the Spirit of God is working in conviction to draw, turn to the Lord in repentance. God must grant repentance, and rejecting the offer today holds no guarantee of a future opportunity. God confirms hardened hearers for the praise of His glory. It's to the praise of His name. Jesus ends this quotation in verse 12 by saying, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, there's a lot of attempts to try to mitigate what that says. But there is no mitigation of what this says. This is the word of Christ. There is a judicial hardening that takes place to those who reject Christ. I just want to refer to this. I won't spend much time in it this morning, but in Romans chapter 11, Paul speaks of the historical hardening of the Jews. And let's just turn to there, turn to Romans chapter 11 briefly to see that. I just want you to see the words that Paul uses and and remember that when Paul is speaking of this hardening of the Jews in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he's actually making an argument for, for the surety of election. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Why? Well, because God hardened the Jews for a season, but in his time will bring them back even after millennia, right? That's the context. And also another important aspect to understand when we're thinking about these doctrines, this is not a glib consideration that 
that causes us to have a, a, a hardness against those who, who will ultimately eternally perish. Paul begins this whole section speaking about the Jews in chapter 9 with these words. Listen to what he says in verse 2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And he's talking about the Jews. That's how he starts this whole section. There's a sorrow, there's a a longing for their salvation, and Paul himself was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees and an object of God's grace. And yet what we find as we work through this section, and, and if you turn over then to chapter 11, chapter 11, and look at verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, verse 11, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for their world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? There is an intentional decreed hardening that took place of the people of Israel for the purpose of bringing people from all nations into the kingdom of God. And and we stand and we we can't get our minds around that. And, And there's a sense that neither can Paul because as he ends this entire section and and working through what took place with the Jews, look at chapter eleven, verse thirty-three. And this is this is where a sanctified scripturally informed and submitted mind goes when we consider when we consider these doctrines we have compassion and ultimately we burst out along with Paul in chapter 11 verse 33 oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes on and says, now you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. With the joy of knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God. God in Christ Jesus. There was a historical hardening of the Jews that took place for the purposes that God had ordained to bring in the Gentiles. But there is an ongoing 
spiritual condition of those who are perishing. Turn over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is summarizing his ministry of proclaiming Christ. Look at verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life, and who is sufficient for these things? Right. Paul recognizes as he preaches the gospel, as he does one thing, as he preaches the gospel, to some, it's the savor of life unto life. To, other, to others, it's the savor of death unto death. It is the sealing of their condemnation. We don't know who those are. We preach Christ, Paul says. We preach Christ. But when we consider then these statements of God's judgment concerning the souls of men from His high and exalted position as the eternal God of heaven. Remember, God is outside of time. He fills all time and eternity. He is perfect in His knowledge. He, he already is in eternity. He's already there. He already knows what it's going to look like when we're in the new heavens and new earth. And that's incomprehensible to us. And these statements about those who God hardens and those who God gives to understand the secrets of God. They, they are revelations of the mind of God that is beyond our comprehension that call us to bow before Him and accept His Word and worship and know that God is good and God is righteous and God is just and praise God, He's in control of all things. Many hear God's word and fail to enter the kingdom. We, we've seen the reason. There's an ultimate decree of God that determines who hears, who it is given to receive, and who is outside. The reality is pictured for us in the explanation of the parable. The reality of this hearing and never entering. What does it look like to hear the Word of God? What does it look like to hear the Word of Christ and yet not enter the kingdom? Well, Jesus says in verse, beginning in verse 14, as He's explaining to His disciples and to those with them, the sower goes and sows the Word, and these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. They hear, they're hardened, and Satan removes the word. Verse 16, 
These are the ones who, uh, the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And then, verse 18, others are the ones sown among the thorns. These are they who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. What does it look like as people hear the word and yet fail to enter the kingdom of God? Well, all three categories represented by the first three kinds of hearers are those who fail, who hear and fail to enter the kingdom. God's word does not bring salvation to them. And it's not because the word of God fails. There's nothing wrong, if you will, with the seed. It's not a failure because of the word of God but it is a failure because of the state of the heart, the state of the person onto which the Word fell. They heard, but there was never fruit. And again, the language in, in the New Testament emphasizes this as the verb here describes, describes someone who heard the Word in a, in a one-and-done sense. There was hearing the word and then moving on to the next thing. Versus, in verse 20, those who are constantly, actively hearing the word of God and responding to the word of the king. And so the Lord, as he interprets and unfolds this parable for us, he identifies that there are, there are those with hardened hearts. There are those who sit under the preaching of the word of God and they defy the king. And the word of God hits and bounces and doesn't take root. And Satan comes and removes it. There, there is... When the preaching of the Word is taking place, there is a spiritual element at play. There is spiritual warfare at play. We have an enemy that does not want the Word of God to prosper. Oh, he's defeated. His end is certain. And yet he is aggressive in opposing the kingdom of God. And to those who hear with hardened hearts, again, I would urge you and, and, and plead with you. you. You can't overcome Satan. He is more powerful than you'll ever hope to be. And your hardening of yourself is an invitation to Satan to remove the word from you. And to harden against the Word, the gracious offer of the king. This is not a neutral event that is taking place. You are siding with the devil himself and casting your lot with him forever. Oh, don't, don't let the repeated preaching of the word of God go unheeded. 
Then there are those in verses 16 and 17, those who are rocky, the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who hear the word immediately and immediately receive it with joy. The word of God comes and the soil in that in that Palestinian context that you would have a few inches of, of soil and right underneath that there would be a bedrock of limestone. And in that soil, because of the rock underneath, that soil would, would be nutrient-rich and, and have, uh, have kind of a hothouse, greenhouse effect where because everything was right there on the surface, that seed would come and and it would be heated up, it would germinate quickly, it would sprout up right away. But then the roots would hit that rock, and when the sun came and scorched it, it it would wither away just as fast. There was nothing to sustain it. And there's an emotional acceptance and emotional hearing of the Word of God. And, and you see this so often where, where there's an excitement about the Word of God. There, there's an emotional response to the Word of God. And, and then the Word of God starts to convict. And then the Word of God starts to impose the claims of the King And those who receive the Word of God with such joy are offended by the Word that they initially received with such joy, and they wither. And it's important to notice that Jesus says in verse 17, those that have no root in themselves, they endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises, and now He's going to give the source, where does the persecution and where does the tribulation arise? It's on account of the Word. There's a call that the Word gives to leave father and mother, to love Christ, to hate your family and because, of the, because of the ultimate priority of loving Christ. There's a call that the Word of God gives, that you must submit to the Word of the King, that you have to be a repentant person, that your priorities have to match the priorities of your King. And, and as you grow in Christ and as you sit under the preaching of the Word, the Word of God, it probes deeper and deeper and deeper, and you find, you find that you're a pretty fleshly person. And there are some that have no root, and they wither, and they fall. The rich young man could be an example of this later on, and we'll get to him in Mark chapter 10. Hey, I'm excited about Christ. I'm excited about following Christ. Oh, you know, these commandments, this is, I, I've kept all those since, since I've been a child. I'm, I'm doing good, Lord. I, I want to believe you. And then the Word of God comes and convicts his heart of the core idol of covetousness. And he falls away. Emotional hearers, there's a receptivity of joy, with joy, but ultimate a falling away. This is something that those who lived during the Great Awakenings, seasons of revivals, were were very careful about. 
Because oftentimes there, there's a, a sweeping up of, as the word of God goes forth. People get excited about it. And that is wonderful as the spirit of God is at work. But, but men like Jonathan Edwards understood, you know what? There, there has to be time. There has to be time and testing to see whether or not the conversion, whether or not the response, whether or not the receiving of the word is truly genuine. Because this is a reality. Verse 18, others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. People whose lives are filled with the priorities of many other things. The word of God is a good addition And yet, they allow many other priorities, the cares of life and the desire for success in this world and and so many other distractions to grow up alongside of the Word, and ultimately it chokes out the Word itself, and it's unfruitful. An example even from from our gospel that we're studying here is Judas. Think about Judas. He is with the Lord for three years. He's hearing the word of the Lord. He's under the teaching of Christ. He's with the Lord of glory, the Son of God, for three years. And no one, no one identifies that Judas is the one that would betray Christ, even at the Last Supper. And yet, his covetous heart chokes out the word of God. And he betrays the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. The Word of God grows with the weeds and is choked out and ultimately becomes unfruitful. Now these are not so much rigid categories as vivid descriptions. The unregenerate heart often contains a trio of corruption. But it gives us explanation of what can tend to be confusing responses to the Word of God of those who appear to respond but later fall away. And it might be years and it might be even decades before it becomes apparent. Sadly. But this is the explanation. They didn't hear in the sense of receiving the authority of the king from the word of the king. They heard it to a point, but ultimately it was a word that was unfruitful. And there are many who hear the word of God and fail to enter the kingdom. Let this be a warning. Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And so we finally turn to the reality that fruitful lives, fruitful lives identify true hearers of God's Word. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are those who hear the Word of God and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Who are the 
true hearers of God's word? Well, again, in verse 11, Jesus says, To you has been given the secret, the mystery of the kingdom of God. True hearers, first of all, are objects of the grace of God. Peter confesses Christ, and Christ says, this, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but this was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. The mystery of the kingdom of God, the, the secret of the kingdom of God, is that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. Jesus Christ is the King of kings. Jesus Christ is the one to whom you must turn for forgiveness of your sins and that there is salvation and no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And if your soul resonates with that and says, yes, that is my king, he is my king, he is my salvation, he is my all in all, that's been given to you by the Lord. You are an object of the grace of God. Again, what Dane read for us this morning from Ephesians chapter 1. What a, what a glorious explanation of what Jesus states so simply here. All the riches of God are yours in Christ because in love he predestined you to receive the mystery of the king of the kingdom in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, Paul will say in, in Ephesians chapter 3 that, that he has been called to be a, an administrator of the mystery of the kingdom, and he identifies the mystery as the gospel of Jesus Christ. One commentator, Cranfield, makes this statement concerning the secret of the kingdom. He says, it is the secret that the kingdom of God has come in the person and words and works of Jesus. That is a secret because God has chosen to reveal himself indirectly and in a veiled way. The incarnate word is not obvious. Only faith could recognize the Son of God and the lowly figure of Jesus of Nazareth. The secret of the kingdom of God is the secret of the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, in speaking of Christ says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. But to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. True hearers are first and foremost objects of the grace of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. True hearers also are those who bear fruit in the midst of adversity. Satan will attempt to take the word. You will struggle to submit to the word. You'll be tempted to cave to the pressures of life and the pursuit of riches and raise other things to replace the priority of the word of God and obedience to Christ. That's a reality of following Christ. True hearers of the word, true followers of Christ face the same challenges as those who hear in vain and turn away, but the distinguishing element of true hearers of God's word is that they bear fruit despite the multitude of challenges and the points of opposition. 
True hearers of God's word will resist the devil and engage in spiritually directed warfare according to passages like Ephesians chapter 6. True hearers of God's word cling to the scripture when it seems to make no sense or even when it may bring physical, material, and relational loss. That's fruitful hearing of the word of God. True hearers of God's word carefully tend their hearts and, their, and remove the weeds of worldliness that might crowd out the spiritual life that bears eternally significant fruit. And so as a result, the lives of true hearers are characterized by spiritual fruitfulness. The exact yields will differ 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. But every yield represents a miraculous work of the Lord Jesus Christ, granting new life to receive His Word. And those yields, you know, we have raised the question, well, am I 30 or 60 or 100? I don't know. (laughs) But in Palestine, a really good yield was... Eight, or maybe ten. A thirtyfold was unheard of. A sixtyfold was unheard of. A hundredfold, imaginary. What Jesus is saying here is that every yield, every amount of true spiritual fruitfulness is a miraculous work of the Lord through the Word of God. True hearers then ultimately, because we have to ask, well, what is the fruit? What is the fruit? So true hearers will bear fruit that corresponds to the seed. If we ask to answer what the fruit is, let's ask again, well, what was the seed? The seed was what? The Word. The Word of God. And so the fruits, the fruits that are brought forth are going to be consistent and correspond to the seed that was sown. And and we could just summarize it in these terms that the the fruits are, are related to repentance, to faith, and to obedience. The word of God will bring, will bring about the fruits of repentance as, as people turn away from their sin and turn in allegiance to Jesus Christ. And again, it's a continual response to the word of the king as his word brings conviction and direction to our lives and we see our fleshliness. We turn to him and we repent and we turn to him in faith and we return to him in obedience ordering our lives according to His priorities. Our repentance runs to Christ when we have sinned and shied away from Him. Faith allows us to place those spiritual priorities above the material pressures, obedience over ease, and move forward in wisdom and courage against Satan's schemes because we know the end. We know that Christ is coming. We know that we're going to stand before the King of Kings, and by His grace, we choose to listen to His Word and order our lives according to His glorious Word. The fruit will correspond to the seed. Your life will harmonize with Scripture. Your life will harmonize with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to borrow a little bit of what we talked about yesterday in the, in the leadership class, as the gospel is clarified, Christ-like thinking and affections will be constructed. The fruit will correspond to the seed. So, receive God's word. Receive God's word to enter the kingdom of God. All that Scripture says about the certainty of the culmination of the kingdom of God is true. Christ offers the word to all. Many, many hear the word and and never enter. But fruitful hearers are those, fruitful lives identify the true hearers of God's word. What is the certainty? Well, as Paul concludes his exhortations to those in Athens in Acts 17, concerning the certainty of standing before the one who delivered this teaching to us today, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The Lord Jesus is alive The Lord Jesus is coming. The Lord Jesus will establish his kingdom and you will stand before him. For those in Christ, it'll be a glorious day. For those outside of Christ, a devastating day. Hear the word of the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us Christ Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you that he is the living Word, the incarnate Word. And, O Lord, we long for the day that he will return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Give us grace to be effective hearers today. May the Word of God do its wonderful work in our souls as the Spirit of God clarifies and empowers us to receive the truth today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening from Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can find church information and other helpful materials at thetruthpulpit.com. This message is copyrighted, all rights reserved.